0: From QA Holes Podcast.com, this is the C Report for Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Good evening and welcome to the C Report. This is Mr. C coming to you on the Spreaker Network with uh, E6W and Q&A Holes Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great evening today and hope you had a great weekend. Trump leads in the news today with a note that uh, Trump may be joining us for his first public speech since leaving the White House at CPAC coming up. Article by Alan Zong says former President Donald Trump likely will make his first post-White House appearance at the end of February. He will be a keynote speaker at the Conservative Political Action Conference 2021 in Orlando, Florida, CPAC Communications Director Ian Walters confirmed to the Epic Times. The former president's speech is scheduled for the afternoon of February 28th, the last day of the conference, Walter said. It will likely be Trump's first public appearance since he left the White House on January 20th. American Conservative Union, the host of the conference, invited the former president to speak. I'd love to see him come to CPAC, ACU Chairman Matt Schlapp told the Washington Examiner. Schlapp said he extended the invitation personally. I think he deserves to be heard. I think even people who disagree with him will agree that he deserves to be heard. He should be uncancelled, he added. A staff member involved in the conference planning told the Epic Times that the invitation was sent out last year. Trump appears to have become more active in the political arena after the conclusion of his second impeachment trial. He issued a lengthy statement challenging Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, speech against him and saluted Rush Limbaugh on several media outlets after the iconic conservative radio commentator's death. The Senate acquitted the former president in a 57 to 43 vote in his second impeachment trial. 67, voters, uh, 67 votes were needed to reach an impeachment conviction. Most Senate Republicans, 45 out of 50, regarded the second impeachment trial as unconstitutional because Trump had already left the White House and was a private citizen's. Trump is frequent frequent at CPAC, an annual event. He issued a dire warning to Americans about socialism in his 2020 CPAC speech. Far-left radicals have become increasingly desperate and increasingly dangerous. Their quest to transform America into a country you would not recognize. A country in which they control every aspect of American life, he said. Just as socialists and communist movements have done all over the world, they're cracking down on all dissent and demanding absolute conformity. They want total control. Trump warned that the result of implementing such policies would turn America very quickly into a large-scale Venezuela. CPAC describes itself as the largest and most influential gathering of conservatives in the world. Top conservatives regularly appear at Conferences scheduled speakers for this year's conference include a number of officials from Trump's administration, including former Housing Secretary Ben Carson, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and former White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Trump allies like South Dakota Governor Kristi Noam, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and former acting National Security Advisor Richard Grinnell are also slated to speak. The lineup also includes some lawmakers like Senator Josh Hawley, Senator James Langford, Republican Ted Budd, and Republican Mo Brooks. So that looks uh, like something to look forward to. If you're interested, CPAC will be starting, it seems like, about uh, February 24th or 25th there in Florida. Now, someone who will not be appearing at CPAC, who do you think that could be? Well, this article comes from Solange Rayner. Pence turned down an invitation to speak at CPAC. Former Vice President Mike Pence turned down an invitation to speak at next week's conservative political conference, according to a source who spoke with Politico. Organizers are hoping he changes his mind, though Pence is intent on keeping a low profile over the next six months, according to CNN. The conference set to take place Thursday through uh, Sunday in Orlando, (coughs) Florida, will include Donald Trump's first post-presidential appearance. Trump is expected to use the speech to talk about the future of the Republican Party and the conservative movement, as well as to criticize President Joe Biden's efforts to undo his immigration policies, according to a person who spoke to a condition of anonymity to discuss the plans. CPAC will feature a few slew of former Trump administrative officials and others who will represent his wing of the GOP. Very interesting. So we'll see what's up with that on Thursday, and we will be sure to report any developments here at the C-Report. let's see what else we have going on in the world of Trump and Trump news. Uh, In the wake of the snowpocalypse that uh, transpired across the Midwest and South Central states of America, um, a lot of question in regards to our energy reliance and energy independence has come into sway, especially since we had rolling blackouts, we had grid malfunctions, and all things of the like. Well, in this article by Joe Hoft, Um, we see President Trump addressing um, some of these issues in regards to energy independence. It says, I don't want America to be energy independent. I want America to be energy dominant. President Trump to economist Steve Moore. Economist Steve Moore says Biden's energy pipe dream will bankrupt the United States of America. President Trump's economist Steve Moore discussed Biden's energy fantasy and the contrast with President Trump's energy policy. Per Newsmax, Moore said Biden needs to get with the program. Trump used to say to me, I don't want America to be energy independent. I want America to be energy dominant, Moore said, and we should. We should be the energy dominant country in the world. Even the electric cars environmentalists are seeking Uh, are going to require use of fossil fuels in generating the electricity, Moore said. Moore is a very sharp man and was President Trump's pick for the Fed, but Republican senators would not have it. Instead, the Fed did all it could to curtail the Trump administration and nearly collapse the economy at the end of 2018, stopping the market rally dead in its tracks. Now the clowns in the Biden gang are under the belief that the United States can immediately step away from the fossil fuels. It's too bad Moore isn't leading the Fed so he could talk sense to these insane politicians. Indeed, Mr. Hoft. Indeed, indeed. And uh, that is the case here um, where they're saying uh, that's why with uh, such events like the Keystone Pipeline being shut down on day one of the Biden uh, administration, the illegitimate administration sitting in the White House right now, um, we see that these concerns do come up, but America was already Uh, energy-independent and energy-dominant under Trump's administration. But all of that, of course, was curtailed um, when the Biden administration stole the election in 2020. All right, in our next article, Tom Ozimek says, Manhattan DA subpoenas tax agency In criminal probe into Trump organization, here's the report. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office has subpoenaed a New York City property tax agency as part of a criminal probe into one of former President Donald Trump's companies. New York City Tax Commission was issued the subpoena the agency's president, Francis Henn, confirmed to Reuters. On Friday, the move suggested that Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance Jr. is examining the values Trump assigned to some commercial properties in tax filings and loan documents and looking for possible evidence of fraud. Vance office and lawyers for the Trump administration declined requests from Reuters to comment on the tax commission subpoena. Citing grand jury secrecy rules, Vance's office hasn't publicly said what it is investigating, but some details have emerged in court filings that suggest prosecutors are seeking evidence of possible falsification of records as well as insurance and tax fraud. Vance's office sent subpoenas to local governments in the New York City suburbs last month seeking information about a Westchester estate Trump owns there and 158 acres of land he donated to a conservation land trust in order to qualify for an income tax deduction. Earlier in the week, Vance's office added Mark Pomerantz, a prominent former prosecutor, to bolster its team investigating possible fraud claims against Trump's company, according to Danny Frost, a spokesman for the office, uh, CNN reported. Separately, New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat, is conducting a civil probe into whether the Trump Organization improperly manipulated the value of Trump's assets on annual financial statements in order to secure loans and obtain tax benefits. The Trump Organization has described the probe as politically motivated and earlier accused James of continued harassment. While we have tried to cooperation in. Good faith with the investigation at every turn, the NYAG's continued harassment of the company as we approach the election and filing of this motion on the first day of the Republican National Convention once again confirms that this investigation is all about politics, a Trump organization lawyer told news outlets last year. James said in August 2020 that she had been probing the allegations since 2019 after Trump's former lawyer Michael Cohen testified before Congress. The investigation remained confidential for months. With Trump's now out of office, he, is no, longer, he no longer enjoys its protective cloak of immunity. A criminal, invest, a criminal conviction could be an unprecedented event in American history with no ex-president ever even charged with a crime, much less convicted of one. And we're probably going to see that continually. Um, You know, people are suing Trump, for example, civilly. And uh, in regards to the um, supposed riot that occurred at the Wednesday, January 6th, uh, Capitol Day electoral count, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, There's at least, like, what, three or four that I know of that are happening against Trump there. So you'll have that continue to happen. And you'll have more people continuing to look into his taxes, more litigations happening. Um, I think you'll just continue to see President Trump uh, face, uh, uh, whether you want to call it lawfare or just, you know, litigious individuals that are trying to make money off of a former president who they know has money of his own. Um, So it's something that we can expect to see. Happening, I think throughout, we'll probably have stories like that. Here's another one regarding Trump and also, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, courts. This one says, uh, the Supreme Court rejects Stormy Daniels, a defamation suit against Trump. So if you guys remember Stormy Daniels, uh, she's the one that had a lawsuit going against Trump. Um, and she lost that one previously where she was, I believe, uh, suing him for... Um, She was involved for she was involved for Trump, uh, having paid her for uh, staying quiet in regards to like, uh, I guess, either a harassment case or um, um, uh, inappropriate, inappropriate uh, interactions, excuse me, between the two of them. Since the Supreme Court rejected Stormy Daniels' defamation suit against President Donald Trump on Monday. The porn star, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, sued President Trump in 2018 after he tweeted a suggestion that she was lying about having been threatened by an unknown man in 2011 over her alleged affair. The case had been dismissed by lower courts and she took it to the Supreme Court for appeal before the justices denied her petition without comment. The case arose after Daniels released a sketch of a man who she claims threatened her in a parking lot and ordered her to leave Trump alone. The reported confrontation came as Daniels was weighing whether to go public with the story of her extramarital affair with Trump. The Hill reports... Trump tweeted about the sketch at that time, writing a sketch years later about a non existent man, a total con job playing the fake news media for the fool, but they know it. The sketch looked exactly like her husband, Brendan Miller. So we see that wraps that up there. I mean, basically, uh, I guess she took that forward to the Supreme Court and they said, no, bitch, I'm sorry. Oh, excuse me, I did not mean to cuss. <laughs> they said, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. You shall not uh, pass go. You shall not collect 200 smackaroos. All right. And then uh, this one to wrap up some Trump news in regards to that uh, January 6th so called uh, Capitol Day riot, uh, what I've been affectionately titled as the um, Capital Breach false flag. Uh, this says transgender. Uh, ele- transgender, excuse me, alleged oath keeper charged in Capitol riot was left naked in cell, lawyers claim. Um, Susan Katz Keating reports attorneys for a transgender woman charged in connection with the January 6th breach of the United States Capitol says that their client voted for Barack Obama and has been mistreated in jail according to a weekend court filing. Miss Watkins was left naked in a jail cell with lights on 24 hours a day for four days in full view of everyone else, lawyers for Jessica Watkins, wrote in the Saturday filing. The claims were among several cited late Saturday by lawyers who asked a judge to release Watkins to home detention in care of her fiancé. Watkins was charged last month, along with two others, Thomas Caldwell and Donovan Crowell, in an alleged conspiracy involving disorderly conduct and other violations connected to the January 6th breach. In court filings, the Justice Department alleged that Watkins belongs to the Oath Keepers group, many of whose members have also been charged for their alleged part in the Capitol melee. In documents viewed by the Just the News public defenders for Watkins on February twentieth, told a U.S. district court judge that Watkins is a law-abiding military veteran who helped rescue and medically treat other rallygoers. The lawyers claim that Watkins was an angry it was an army ranger who served in Afghanistan and has been treated cruelly while in custody. As a transgender female, she is at risk of harsh treatment in custody, the attorneys wrote. Indeed, while in local custody, she was treated harshly. That included both medical neglect and humiliating punitive conduct, they said. She had a documented injury to her arm, but it went untreated at her throat. She went on a hunger strike to get medical attention, but instead of medical attention, she was stripped naked and put on suicide watch. As this court is likely aware, suicide watch in the prison system is not designated to treat one's mental mental health issues, but is incredibly punitive. Watkins was forced out of the army after her sexual orientation was discovered, the attorneys wrote, without describing the circumstances. Since then, attorneys said Watkins has served her community as a firefighter and as an emergency medical technician and has worked for her organization that aims to prevent the spread of HIV. In pleading for home detention, the attorneys noted that Watkins voted for Barack Obama, but did not explain why that would militate in favor of a release. The fiance Montana Sniff pledged to mo- monitor Watkins if the defendant wasn't released to his care. Please, Your Honor, justice delayed will be it will still be justice. Sniff wrote in an appendix to the pleading. She has no desire to resume militia activities. We have taken actions already to assuage the public and the courts of any danger she might arguably possess and she wishes to ignore politics and focus on serving cocktails and cooking food at a location simple for the government to monitor attorneys for watkins acknowledged that their client's alleged behavior was worrisome but couched her as being more victim than a perpetrator While some of the rhetoric she allegedly engaged in is troubling, she fell prey to the false and inflammatory claims of the president, his supporters, and the right-wing media, the attorneys wrote. In charging documents, the government um, said that Watkins and alleged co-conspirators coordinated their actions on January 6th at the Capitol. Watkins posted photos of herself on social media. Officials wrote and later posted video of herself inside the Capitol, according to the Justice Department. Watkins captioned the video with a report of her actions. Yeah, we stormed the Capitol today. Cure, tear tear gas the whole, not the tear gas the whole nine. Pushed our way into the rotunda, made it into the Senate. Even the news is lying, even Fox, about the historical events we created today. Watkins faces a hearing in D.C. District Court on Tuesday to determine whether she will continue to be held in custody pending trial. So I don't know about you all guys, but this story sounds like a plant. Uh, Miss Miss Watkins sounds like a plant. She sounds like she was there to be a uh, fake Trump supporter, post all this stuff, cause a whole wreck, and then when she got mistreated in jail because uh, she couldn't hack it, or maybe her handlers forgot about her and just left her in there to rot because uh, that tends to happen too, uh, she had to get on news and make a story there, um... This kind of person doesn't sound like a uh, Trump supporter. Now, again, the attorneys here saying that she was um, influenced by the false and inflammatory claims of a president, that could be just attorney jargon to get her off. And they might be using that, but if that is indeed the way Miss Watkins feel, in other words, if the attorneys are saying that because that's what Miss Watkins said, then that would just go ahead and go to show that they had people who were plants that were in here who um, were there just to disturb uh, to disturb the peace and run amok. Um, it did mention how she served in the army, but what it does sound like is it sounds like she did not disclose that she was transgendered, which I don't think she would have to. But if she was post-op, I don't think it should have mattered. If she was post-op, I think it wouldn't matter. I don't think she would have to report it if she was post-op. Um, but uh, I don't know how that goes because I don't know... Uh, I know they that it's accepted and I know that there might be a don't ask, don't tell thing. I just know when it comes to the military active duty, I don't think... I don't think... Um, that taxpayers should be funding for um, operations and I think that uh, it would probably be best if they served uh, transgender individuals once they had gone through their hormone uh, balance thing and their post-op and like they're ready to go and have got all that balance back in their life uh, because and it's not to say that people who are transgendered are in balance it's just to say that when you're going through that kind of a transition I would imagine that there's just a lot of you know ups and downs that an individual would feel physically and emotionally um, from such uh, a procedure so that's the only reason why I would think it would be safer for their health and the health of others if it were you know after that uh, recuperation were done and then you know serve (laughs) or serve fully and then you know once you're done serving then do all of that I don't know but I don't I think I just think it would be dangerous for them to serve like say and be like like say like on a warfront battlefield when they're in the middle of that transition I think that would be stressful on them and their body as well as a possibly danger uh towards themselves and uh their their brothers and sisters in the field anyways enough about that topic uh let's see what else we got in the news So uh, it seems like we still have Cuomo coming up in the news. That's right. Killer Cuomo, killer governor of New York State, uh, sending uh, COVID positive patients to nursing homes and nursing home residents to um, a fatal, a fatal conclusion there and untimely and premature. From uh, Hannah Blow. New York Assemblyman Colin Schmidt, state could elect a Republican governor following nursing home cover up. So we know that people are, I believe, they are looking forward to, if they haven't already, with the impeachment of uh, Governor Cuomo. Definitely something that they're, um, uh, is, is, being more than considered because there could be like criminal action but then again we'll have to see if that's how they're going to move forward with it the article says new york state representative colin schmidt republican believes the state very well could end up with a republican governor following governor andrew cuomo uh democrat nursing home cover-up which he referred to as cruel conspiracy to the highest order. He told Breitbart News Sunday the scandal is bringing together progressive far-left Assembly members with Republicans and slammed New York Republican Senator Patrick Maloney, Democrat, New York, who recently hired an ex game member to serve as a senior advisor to the Democrat Congressional uh, Campaign Committee for remaining silent. This is a criminal conspiracy to the highest order. It is a criminal cover up by Cuomo and the administration, Schmidt said of the Cuomo administration's cover up, which saw officials hiding the real number of people who died of the Chinese coronavirus in nursing homes due to fears of a federal investigation. While he said he is glad to see investigations taking place, Schmidt said he also urged the Attorney General to conduct a full and thorough investigation. I strongly believe criminal charges are needed up to and including the highest level of state government. Anyone who is complicit needs to be charged criminally, he said adding that the legislation also needs to take action, including removing officials from office. Schmidt told Breitbart News Sunday he is co-sponsoring a measure to form an independent impeachment commission that will review and investigate all the information, all the truth, and give her all the truth that might be there and take appropriate action. He is also composing a bipartisan bill to repeal Cuomo's extraordinary power, which he said has really caused a lot of issues. Cuomo, the assemblyman said, is used to having extreme control. The office of the governor of New York is extremely powerful constitutionally, and Cuomo has taken the next level, taken this, taken that to the next level with his own strategy and use of power. And he's used to getting away with much of the issues he's had over his tenure. I think at this point it's tipped too far. He said, "Over 15,000 families have lost loved ones because of these decisions." The cover-up afterward, he continued, enraged people of all ideologies. It's bringing together the Republicans and the Democrats. It's bringing progressive. Far-left Assembly members are coming together with the minority, the Assembly Minority Caucus, which which is the Republican Caucus. It's really shaking things up here where everyone agrees this is wrong, he said. This is criminal, and there needs to be accountability both legislatively and criminally. We're not going to let off the gas. I'm not going to let off the gas, he promised. Schmidt said the scandal very well could result in New York electing a Republican governor. He said he would be happy to be the first to line up and endorse Republican Lee Zeldin who said some have identified as a potential GOP challenger. Schmidt also noted Republican Sean Patrick Maloney, Democrat of New York, has remained completely silent as the nursing home fallout has continued, also blasting him, the chairman of the DCCC, for supporting the committee's decision to hire an ex-gang member as a lead strategist. Sean Maloney claims to be, claims to represent our district by appointing this individual as a senator, his senior political strategist. It shows just how out of touch he is with the Hudson Valley, he said, noting that most counties are homes to active and retired law enforcement, and pointing to the latest hire's public and anti-police sentiments. The hire, Dijon Tatro, once defended looting as a vital form of social protest and referred to Capitol Police officers as white supremacists. It just shows that Sean Maloney and Nancy Pelosi and the House majority right now is so out of touch with what's going on with reality, he said. And to have the congressman from Fort Hudson Valley turn his back on hundreds of officers who were injured as a result of the 2020 BLM riots and support Tatro as a viable leader is an affront to the entire district and really to the entire American people, he said. While the Republican assemblyman would most definitely, would not definitely say if he would consider a bid for Maloney's seat, he told Breitbart News Sunday, it's crucial to hold him accountable. I look forward to being a large part of that, and I think we're going to continue to have conversations on how to do, uh, how we do, how do we make sure we get congressmen in the district who actually represent the hudson valley and the hudson valley's values because our current congressman said the bill of goods in the camp sold the bill of goods in the campaign acting like a bipartisan working across the aisle guy and he now has become the most partisan elected official in america he said the most partisan man in america should not hold office in the hudson valley Yep. So they're going to replace Cuomo. They're going to get him out of there. That's going to move forward. But in the meantime, we see the whole Cuomo debacle has caused quite a stir for the Democrats of the Northeast, Um, like even down to uh, programs, propaganda programs now like Saturday Night Live. Um, making skits um, featuring the governor of New York, but not even addressing the COVID nursing home death scandal that he has created, instead picking fun at other, um, other current uh, government and uh, cultural... <laughs> Uh, cultural goings-on. Here we see the White House is having a hard time with Cuomo questions as well, because no one wants us to focus on Governor Cuomo since he was allegedly the uh, prime example of how to handle a major city during the uh, COVID crisis of 2020. Um, in this article by Noah David Alter, it says White House Press Secretary Dodges questions about New York Governor Cuomo's nursing home failures. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki appeared on ABC on Sunday morning during which she was asked about the cover up of nursing home deaths in New York. Last week, President Biden cited Andrew Cuomo as the gold standard for leadership during the pandemic. ABC anchor John Carl said, playing a direct quote from Biden. Now we have seen that Governor Cuomo has allegedly undercounted nursing home deaths, misled legislators in New York, and he called a New York assemblyman, Ron Kim, raising questions, basically threatening to destroy him. Does President Biden still consider Andrew Andrew Cuomo the gold standard when it comes to leadership during the pandemic? Saki was asked. He plays an important role in ensuring that we're coordinating closely and getting assistance out to people of his state and states across the country, and we'll continue to do that, Saki responded. There, of course, will be a process, investigations. We'll leave that to others to determine the appropriate law enforcement authorities to determine how the path is going to move as we look forward, and we'll circle back to it. But we're going to continue to work with the range of governors, including, of course, Governor Cuomo, because we think the people of New York, the people of the states across the country need assistance, not just to get through the pandemic, but to get through this difficult economic time. Noting that she did not directly answer the question, Carl asked asked again, does President Biden still believe that Andrew Cuomo is the gold standard? represents the gold standard in leadership during the pandemic, yes or no. We'll circle back to it, is all Saki responded. Just kidding folks. Saki responded, it doesn't it doesn't always have to be a yes or no answer, John. So she may as well have said that we'll circle back to it. The article closes. A report released by the New York Attorney General at the end of January revealed that New York may have undercounted the number of coronavirus deaths in nursing homes by as much as 50% over the course of the pandemic, sparking outrage from both Republicans and Democrats, the latter of whom expressed high levels of support for Cuomo throughout 2020. Governor Cuomo's top aide, Melissa DeRosso, late Rosa, later admitted in a call with other Democrats that the nursing home deaths were undercounted to prevent former President Donald Trump from using it against them as a campaign issue, with Democrats seeking to center the blame for the pandemic and resulting deaths on the former president. So that scandal continues to spiral out of control on the behalf of Mr. Uh, Governor Cuomo. Well, Killer Cuomo, I think, will probably most definitely see his day in court. We'll see what happens, uh, because after all, DeRosa, her mother-in-law, is the top attorney for the Southern District of New York. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Governor Cuomo will be safe. All right, so uh, let's see what else we got in the news buzz is um, the snowpocalypse that hit uh, Texas and uh, the Midwest and Southern states. Talked about it a little bit, but let me tell you what, um, it was fairly bad. Now, for some areas in Texas weren't hit, um, particularly um, areas that were, you know, more central or, Um, on certain land grids, but if not for that, most everyone experienced rolling blackouts. I know um, many people personally that had no power or had no water, so totally unprepared. Um, uh, 40 to 50 plus deaths, um, the number may be higher by now. But we see here in this article from Zachary Strieber, Texas Energy Council, Entogy. Accused of gross negligence leading to boy's death in new lawsuit. So uh, let's see this in the in the wake of the southern snowstorms, the Texas organization in charge of energy, Enta a utility company, are being blamed for a teenager's death amid recent snowstorms in the southern state. Christian Pineda, 11, was found dead last week in his family's Houston home, according to new lawsuit. The family tried keeping warm by huddling in a single room, and Christian was placed in a bed with his younger brother, but to no avail. The boy died because grid wasn't a priority, and the energy provider made decisions based on profits, lawyers for the family wrote in a nine-page suit obtained by the Epic Times. Lawyers said the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, which manages the flow of electrical power in most of the state, and Entergy should have invested in winterizing their systems and warned people to before the storm struck that they could be without power for days but failed to do so. The failure to adequately inform plaintiffs of the length of the blackouts prevented them from properly preparing for the lack of power or leaving the area, the suit states. Accurate information might have saved Christian Pineda's young life when temperatures dropped sharply across wide swaths of texas along with loads of snow on february 15th ERCOT began implementing rolling blackouts as energy generation decreased but demand skyrocketed as residents tried to stay warm according to a gofundme fundraiser for the family they were left without electricity for two days on the morning the boys the boy was found lifeless Temperatures had dropped to 12 degrees Fahrenheit. The suit accuses Erkot and Entergy of gross negligence and seeks damages of over $100 million. Entergy said in a statement to news outlets, We are deeply saddened by the loss of life in our community. We are unable to comment due to pending litigation. ERCOT added, "We haven't yet reviewed the lawsuits and will respond accordingly once we do. Our thoughts are well. Our, our thoughts are with all Texans who have who have and are suffering due to this past week. However, because approximately 46 percent of privately owned generation tripped offline this past Monday morning, we are confident that our grid operators made the right choice to avoid a statewide blackout." ERCOT CEO said last week that the power grid in the state was minutes from a months-long blackout. Authorities said Friday that the Texas power grid was back and running at normal operations. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and North American Electric Reliability Corporation, two federal agents and multiple state agencies are probing the grid failures experienced in the state amid the storms. That's terrible. Our hearts and condolences certainly go out to that South Texas family for the loss of their son. It just goes to show you um, the power grid is really something that m- not many people think about when it comes to keeping our country or indeed any country secure. This next uh, article from David uh, Noah, Noah David Alter says Biden Energy Department used environmental regulations to block Texas from increasing uh, available power before storm. An order issued by the Biden administration's acting Secretary of Energy, David Huizenga, reveals that the Department of Energy limited the amounts of power Texas could use to combat the power crisis the state was facing. The power crisis began when Texas was hit by two winter storms, stressing the limits of the state's ERCOT power grid. The crisis has left millions of Texans without electricity, and over 30 civilians have died in various causes, including hypothermia and carbon monoxide poisoning as a result. The order dated to February uh, 14th noted that Texas Governor Greg Abbott declared a state of disaster in all 254 Texas counties due to severe weather posing an imminent threat of widespread and severe property damage, injury, and loss of life due to prolonged freezing temperatures, heavy snow, and freezing rain statewide. The order specified increasing the priority of gas supplies to ERCOT generators. ERCOT's application also noted that the Texas Commission Environmental Quality has indicated that it will provide enforcement discretion to generators in the ERCOT region that may exceed state emissions requirements during emergency conditions. However, while ERCOT was given permission to increase the amount of power generated, the Department of Energy placed environmental regulations as a top priority ahead of maximizing power generation. So we need to make sure that, you know, our carbon footprint was small enough. um, Life was expendable here in order for them to make sure that we didn't hurt the environment. The article continues. To minimize adverse environmental impacts, this order limits operation of dispatched units to the times and within the parameters determined by ERCOT for reliability purposes, the order reads... Consistent with good utility practice, ERCOT shall exhaust all reasonably and practically available resources, including available imports, demand response, and identified behind-the-meter generation resources, selected to minimize and increase in emissions, to the extent that such resources provide support to maintain grid reliability prior to dispatching the specified resources. The Department of Energy also refused to waive environmental restrictions, which would have allowed the state to generate more power. The order does not provide relief from an entity's obligation to purchase allowances for emissions that occur during the emergency condition or to use other geographic and temporal flexibilities available to generators. Texans have since complained that the price of power skyrocketed with Texans having power bills up towards $10,000. The order also significantly hiked the prices of power being sold to the state, stating that an incremental amount of restricted capacity would be offered at a price no lower than $15,000 per megawatt hour, a significant increase over $18.20 that Texans typically pay for the same amount of energy. The Department of Energy order adds more questions to the debate over the use of clean energy. It has been noted that Texas power generation relied greatly on wind turbines which froze during the cold snap and worsen the power situation in Texas. Proponents of fossil fuels have argued that such energy generation is simply more reliable than using renewable energy. Most Texans affected by the power outage have since seen power return to their homes. So, yep. That's what we're going to be able to expect more from, especially once they start moving in more like to these Paris Accord things. Anything environmental like that is usually just a hidden tax on the people. And in this case, it's not just a hidden tax on the people. It's also a way to shut down our jobs and shut down our power grid and our our energy, which would also cause us to lose jobs and just down our economy even more. And it, it just basically starts a downward spiral and it collapses in on itself. So um, that is the T on that. All right. We only got a couple of more stories to go, and we'll close up for this session of the Sea Report. We're glad you joined us tonight. Uh, some good news coming out of... Let's see what it looks like here. Louisiana. This comes from the Epic Times. Armed Good Samaritan stopped shooting spree that left three dead. Several armed bystanders successfully stopped a shooting spree that left three dead, including the suspect in a New Orleans suburb. The shooting happened at the Jefferson Gun Outlet in the suburb of Metairie, Louisiana, around 2.50 p.m., according to a release from the Jefferson-Paris sheriff's office sheriff joseph lapinto told reporters that a person went to the gun store and shooting range and fatally shot two people on saturday several individuals engaged with the shooter inside the gun shop and parking lot outside three people died on the scene including the shooter two others were transported to a local hospital for treatment the authorities said the two hospitalized are in stable condition it's unclear if the good samaritans are employees of the gun shop or customers Guns and animations are sold in the front of the outlet that faces the main thoroughfare through Jefferson Jefferson Parish. Customers who want to frequent the gun range generally go around the side of the entrance of the building. Staff who work there often wear a sidearm. Lopinto said the investigators are just beginning to piece together what happened. We're trying to put it all together, piece it together with what we have in this developing scene, the sheriff said. Caution tape surrounded the business to keep onlookers away from the crime scene where ambulance and numerous law enforcement vehicles had arrived earlier. A neighboring Taco Bell was evacuated. Metairie is a major suburb of New Orleans, about five miles west of the city's iconic French Quarter, in neighbor scene, neighboring Jefferson Camp Parish. So yeah, so we're starting to see a kind of uptick in gun violence now. What I appreciate about this, because I had heard this art, I had heard this story about uh, how the shooting actually happened at a gun range, which in itself is actually a very rare occurrence. You don't generally have someone go into a gun range or a gun store and open fire. Um, What I appreciate about this story is that it highlighted how it was armed uh, citizens and and customers that brought this man to justice, uh, or I should say, stopped this man from what could have been um, a much worse situation. So um, good job to those um, good Samaritans. Now, another 2A news, Utah governor signs a bill allowing concealed carry of firearm without permit. Utah's government on February 12th signed a measure into law that allows people in the state to carry a concealed gun without a permit. With the passage of this bill, Utah joined 17 other states with some form of permitless concealed carry. Governor Spencer Cox, a Republican in his first term, said in a statement to news outlets, this bill protects Second Amendment rights, reduces reduces permit permitless open carry, which is already legal, and includes significant funding for suicide prevention. House Bill 60, which was sponsored by Republican State Republican Republican State Representative Walt Brooks, a National Rifle Association member, states that an individual who is 21 or older and may full fo- and may lawfully possess a firearm, may carry a concealed firearm in a public area without a permit. Former Governor Gary Herbert, a Republican, had vetoed similar legislation several years ago. According uh, uh, to state data, Utah officials issued over 26,000 concealed carry permits in the fourth quarter of 2020 and renewed another 18,095. As of December 31, 2020, there were 718,218 valid concealed carry permits in the state, including some 290,000 for Utah residents and 427,639 for non-residents. Gun rights groups had called for Cox to sign the bill, including the National Association for Gun Rights. We're thankful Representative Brooks has introduced this legislation, and the National Association for Gun Rights field team are working diligently to make sure the legislature promptly passes this bill and puts it on the desk of Governor Cox for him to sign into law. Dudley Brown, the group's president, said in an earlier statement. After the signing, Jason Wiematt, executive director of the National Rifle Association's lobbying arm, said there is no reason a law-abiding person should have to ask for permission to carry a firearm for self-defense. The passage of this bill demonstrates Utah's commitments to protection of the Second Amendment rights of its citizens. We thank Governor Cox, Representative Brooks, and all who support this important bill. Other organizations opposed to the bill, including Uh, were opposed to the bill, including Moms Demand Action. All right. So it sounds good for Utah getting that going in their legislation. And see, you see West Virginia having uh, Second uh, Amendment sanctuaries. You have Texas making sure that they're going to stand up and fight for that right as well. And it will continue to happen and continue to push in America, uh, regardless of who is in office at this moment. I think when Democrats are in office gun sales tend to skyrocket all right thanks for tuning in again to the c report with q and a holes podcast.com make sure you stop by q and holes and tune in weekdays uh to um hear the c report QA and holes news break and the uh saturday and wednesday night Colin show as well as thursday night's uh, magadon mr c show and magadon special reports till next time this is mr c saying have a great evening and we will see you later Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Casadas, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares.